Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. I think it's up to me and our organization to show over and over again why these reports are important, how they are beneficial to the farms and the ranches. That, you know, a safe and abundant food supply, well, that's good for everybody who eats, but what's in it for me because I'm raising these cattle. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Um, I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, we are joined by my, Mark Schlosener. Hope I didn't mess that up. Um, he is a veteran of the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service, also known as NAS, um, since 1984. Um, Mark's vast experience in, in the industry includes key roles in developing objective yield surveys, leading community or commodity survey teams, and serving as a state statistician for Illinois. His insights are instrumental for farmers of all ages, optimizing their strategies and seeking data-backed opportunities in agriculture. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I saw, I was listening to a podcast a while back, and I was I was listening to you on the show talking about data and your work um, with the statistics service. And I'm kind of a data nerd as well from the finance and real estate world. So I understand how important data is in managing a business and forecasting. And so I was excited to get you on a, to maybe nerd out a little bit on data, but just to also voice our love for it as well. Well, my pleasure to be with you. And I will do my best not to be too nerdy and too statistical, but that is the nature of what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sure is. Well, if you don't mind, why don't you start at the beginning? Like how I know we mentioned you started in 1984, so that's that's quite a ways, but maybe what's been your journey up until now? I've, I feel very fortunate that when I landed with this group, NAS, the Ag Statistics Service, I sort of found my tribe. I'm a, I'm a square peg and a square hole, hmm. and it works for me. So a lot of the work is sort of data analysis, and that's, that's my jam. That's what I do. I worked in Washington, D.C. for a very short time. I just got hired there. I was the newbie who didn't know anything. And I was transferred out to Lincoln, Nebraska. I worked there for three years. And one of the better things that happened, uh, my training is in math and statistics. But when I got to Lincoln, they wanted me to take freshman freshman crop science and freshman animal science at the University of Nebraska. That was really very helpful for me. It was also very challenging. I was competing against 17, 18 year old kids who were fresh off the farm and they knew way more than I did, uh, in particular with the livestock stuff. I just mm. I really struggled. By the time I learned one thing, which they already knew, then it was time to move on to another species. And, and that was tough. I've transferred around a few more times and landed in Springfield, Illinois in December of 2022. And that's where I've been for the last 21 years. All right. Illinois. That's a you like living there? I do. Springfield is about the right size for me. It's not too big. Uh, I, I guess I might wish it was a, a smidgen bigger. So my wife and I go down to, for instance, St. Louis, about 100 miles away to do some things. Uh, we don't go up to Chicago very much. It's close to halfway in between the two. 
Springfield is a great place to raise kids, to uh, belong to groups. It's not so big that there's traffic problems and crime problems. That's great. How, how big is Springfield? Maybe 125,000. I actually okay. live in the town of Chatham, which is a few miles south. It's maybe 13,000. I've heard of Chatham too. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, that's a good area. It's 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 bigger, you know, but it's no 500,000 city. You've got so, it. You've got it. Uh, yeah, most you don't have to career, deal with the traffic. A, most of my career, I've been a data analyst or a supervisor of data analysts. And then about 10 years ago, I took on the role of state statistician. And that's much more mm. um, publicity and outreach and communications. I also do college recruiting. Uh, I do get to do the data analysis as well, and I'm doing a lot of that now on the census of agriculture data set. Okay. Yeah, let's dive into that a, a little bit further. So you've had a lot of data roles, and now you're taking a new role, more of a front-facing public um, framework, right? That's right. So, so I will do a fair amount of public speaking gigs to... Um, commodity groups like Illinois Corn or the Illinois Soybean Association. During the winter, there are many agricultural trade shows and conferences, and I'll typically set up a booth there and talk with the farmers or whoever else comes by. It's my job to ask the farmers and ranchers to respond to our surveys. Almost everything we do is voluntary. I try to remind them frequently that every individual report is confidential and exempt from the Freedom of Information Act. We have special laws that apply to the Ag Statistics Service and other federal statistical agencies to protect the individual reports from farmers and ranchers. Gotcha. That, that's a very important clarification because I think, especially nowadays, everyone's worried about getting their data stolen, used for ways that were not intended originally. Yes, you're right. And it's a shame that the world is that way, but it kind of is. In general, what we do, Casey, is very similar to what people outside of agriculture are all familiar with, there's a monthly jobs report, right? The unemployment rate is published every month by a group of mm -hmm. different federal statisticians. There are many other reports like that. There's housing starts. There's the rate of inflation. That's been a big topic for a couple of years. People like me are doing that. We are focused on agriculture. So we're measuring inventory of animals and production of crops and prices in the agricultural world. Okay. So, and how often are you collecting this data? on a voluntary basis from farmers? We publish about 400 reports a year nationally. For the state of okay. Illinois, it's less than 100. But for instance, during the growing season, we have a weekly crop progress and condition report. So it's April through November weekly. Uh, there's 30-ish of those. We will do monthly cattle on feed reports. And depending on the commodity, you measure it more often as needed. Uh, Illinois is number four in pork production, and we do a quarterly hog and pig survey four times a year. Um, when it comes to acreage of major crops, corn and soybeans are the big players in Illinois, also wheat. Uh, we're, we're measuring those at least four times a year, depending on exactly which questions we're asking. Okay. That's a lot of reports. That's a lot of data. But that's hugely valuable, especially the weekly reports. Like Things can shift on a dime, it seems like weather patterns, all, all sorts of things. When you think about all the inputs and all the factors in agricultural space and in Illinois, is it difficult or to manage all of those weekly reports? Or do you guys have a pretty sound process and, you know, getting that 
timely data and reports out to those who need it most? This is what we do and we're good at it. We have systems, we build a lot of our own systems to gather the data, to process the data, to verify the accuracy of the data. And this is what we do. We're built to gather data, clean data, and publish data. So a lot of the heavy work of building the good software is done in our Washington, D.C. headquarters. Uh, we have 12 regional field offices, okay. and um, I'm linked to the one in St. Louis. That's where my boss is. Uh, and the group there is about 25 to 30 people, and they're more doing the data analysis, uh, making a data collection plan, uh, ensuring that we get our publicity out on time with news releases and such like that. Gotcha. So you got a whole whole system that you're also managing with federal entities all the way down to the state level. That's right. We, we've got almost all of the projects we do are multi-state projects. So there, if there's a federal need for corn acreage planting intentions at the end of March. So basically every state will be asking questions to farmers in March. How many acres of corn are you going to plant? Also soybeans and whatever other crops are um common in your state. So we don't ask cotton and rice in Illinois, but uh, our region has Missouri and they do have cotton and rice. And so the questionnaire, the questions we ask are a little bit different from Missouri to Illinois to Indiana to whichever state you're in. And so, mm -hmm. we, but then we're, we're tabulating and making a national level report for the U.S., uh, which will have state by state breakdowns. The numbers that are important to Overall supply and demand tend to be the national numbers, but let me make a pitch for more local numbers. Let, let's suppose, I, I hate to say this, but let's say there's a terrible freeze in January in Florida and it really devastates the strawberry crop. Well, that's going to show up in one of our reports. And the people that are mm -hmm. in that business are going to see that report. So if you're a, a buyer for a, a produce buyer for a grocery store chain on the East Coast, you're going to see that report. Oh gosh, the Florida strawberry crop has a problem. They're going to start calling people in California. And the California mm -hmm. producers are going to say, ah, my strawberry is probably more valuable now because Florida's got a problem. And the people that are involved with moving the food around, the, the trains and the trucks, they're going to start making changes in what they're doing based on the reports that we, we do. We have an excellent infrastructure system in this country. So we rarely have food shortages that last very long at all. But it's a big country. And there's always a production problem somewhere, usually multiple places. It's too hot. It's too cold, it's too wet, it's too dry somewhere every year in this mm -hmm. country. But we have good infrastructure to move the food around. So the grocery stores are pretty much always have what you want. And that infrastructure system needs information to work well. And that's us. That's the information side. You are one of the conduits that make, make it all turn. I think so. I mean, we, we all noticed with, with the COVID issue that the grocery stores were different. You know, it changed. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. And and in a lot of ways, a lot of what happened was really international shipping, right? That big bunch yep. of uh, ships out on the West Coast that couldn't get to dock or couldn't get unloaded. And, you know, that was a complicated thing. And the basic stats of what's available and where it is are very important to a safe and abundant food supply. Mm hmm. So nationally and at the state level, all these inventories are being basically aggregated at the local level, published through various metrics and frameworks. And then those are then digested by the players in many markets across and operators across the country. 
to really figure out how they need to go operate their own specific business. Yes, I think you said that very well. The primary customers, if you will, of the reports we produce are the industry players, the farmers, the ranchers, uh, the businesses that buy the grain elevators, that buy the grain from the farmers, the, the slaughter plants that buy the animals. The, the agriculture industry is pretty darn broad and diverse and multi-layered and complicated, and they need information to do their business as well. Mm-hmm. So let's take this hyper-local for you. You said that Illinois is the number fourth pork producer in the state. If you're a farm, if you're a pork producer in Illinois, how would you imagine a a farmer in uses those weekly reports to manage their business? Are they looking at the number one state for pork production and seeing what's going on? And do your reports provide that? Can you give us like a real world case study on such like the weekly reports that you provide? I'm going to say in the livestock world, one of the main things they want to do is buy the feed at the best price they can. And so they're not just buying it every week. They're making a contract with someone and they may be wanting to get today's price for the next three or four months. And so the supply of grain will help them determine how they should purchase the feed for their animals. A lot of the reports that we produce uh, have information that needs to be interpreted by someone who's got a really skilled marketing set of skills, an economist type person, and farmers and ranchers don't have that person on their staff. You know, farming and ranching is different. They need to be an agronomist. They need to be a veterinarian. If they have animals, they need to be uh, a weather forecaster. They need to be a lot of things. They're probably not an economist, but they're probably purchasing a service. They're getting a weekly newsletter, a a weekly email blast, something like that from an expert who's interpreting the reports from NAS and the international situation to provide advice for them on how to run their farm. Should they be purchasing grain now or wait till later? Should they sell the grain they produce now or wait till later? Mm-hmm. So, so the weekly reports that your team is putting together and publishing for these, these farmers, are they providing advice or are they just communicating the data as the data is presenting itself and then they're leaving the decision points and the recommendations up to the farmers. Yes, that's right. Uh, One of the things I like to say is we're we're like that old TV show dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. That's our job. These are just the facts. These are the acres of corn. This is the percentage of crop that is silking right now. The wheat harvest is 88% complete in Illinois. The interpretation of that is done by others. Fair enough. And do you com- you provide comparisons like year over year growth um, trends, those types of things as well? Absolutely. When we publish our weekly crop progress and condition report, we're saying things like um, wheat harvest was eighty eight percent complete as of last Sunday, and that compares to I think it was eighty five one year ago, and the five year average was I think eighty eight percent. So we're putting the current data in context with the past. That's perfect. Yeah, I see a lot of people not really doing that. And it's also, as you know, pretty easy to skew reports as well. You can tell data, you can have data tell a story that you want. um, But 
it's very important to give comparisons that are not only accurate, but very relevant to the situation. You're right. It's easy to cherry pick a large report and pull out the few numbers that support your case. A good analyst will use all of the information. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good, that's a really good test case. I know my dad does exactly those things, looking at weekly reports, figuring out all of the factors that we discussed and you know, it takes takes a little bit to to sit on it as well and, and make those decisions. It takes a little bit, a lot of reading and just being comfortable with maybe being uncomfortable with a little bit of situations and letting pricing inventory settle out and then making decisions once the picture is more clear. But as you know, I think with a lot of people, especially this is very speaks well to the entrepreneurship world. Like you can't wait until you have all of the data to go and make a decision. It When you wait for that, likely the time is too far gone. And so it's important to stay on top of the data. So when you can make that gut check and say, I have enough data to make a good business decision. But in order to do that, you have to stay on top of it. And that's exactly what you and the team is providing at NAS. I think you're right. There's, there's in some ways two skill sets for farming and ranching. I mean, obviously, they have a lot of different skills they need, but one skill set is let's grow the crop, let's raise the animals. That, that's one set of what needs to be done. But now you got to sell them in a way that makes a profit. You need to buy your inputs low and sell your outputs high, and that can be very challenging in a very competitive world of you know. Illinois corn and soybean production are very big things. And there are thousands and thousands of farms growing essentially the same product as you in central Illinois. You probably are not smarter than all of those people. You probably don't have better ground than all of those people. Mm -hmm. So some, some good advice on when to buy your inputs, like your fertilizer, when to sell your crop, you know, hold on to it for a while or sell it right away. Those are difficult questions. And like you said, you almost never have all the information that you want. Yeah. Oftentimes it's too late when when you do have all of the information, time is too far gone. So, so speaking about difficulties, Mark, what are some of the challenges that you and the team face on a regular basis? Uh, the primary challenge in front of us is that virtually all of our projects are voluntary responses. And we want our response rate to be high. We want to make sure we're getting the right people uh, in our sample. And overall, response rates are declining, not just for NAS and the agricultural world, but across all types of survey organizations, including the ones that do political polling, all of those. Hmm. Uh, we have some very, very strong tools. We have an excellent database of farms and ranches. And we can draw a very good sample that represents the whole state. And there's a crew of people keeping that database up to date. We have techniques in place to make sure, for instance, imagine the northern part of the state has very good weather, so very high yields on a crop. And the southern part of the state, let's say, has poor weather and poor yields. If you get more responses from the north and less from the south, you might get a skewed picture, right? You, you, you need to make sure that the responses mm -hmm. you get are accurately reflecting what's actually out there. Uh, and 
we have several techniques, statistical techniques, to make sure we're on board with that. Um, if, if the response rate is higher in one area and lower in another, that could give you a bias, but we have ways to adjust for that to make sure we're not following the data down the wrong path. We want to make mm -hmm. sure we're going down the right path. So you're kind of adjusting for the sample size. Yes, or actually the response rate in this case. Response rate, okay. So our sample will be representative of the area we're targeting. If it's the whole state, our sample will represent the whole state. What if there's a higher response rate in one area and lower in another? That could give you a skewed picture, and we mm -hmm. have ways to adjust for that. We need to. We need to. So the main challenge that you guys face is is really the response, declining voluntary responses by farmers in the area. Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of different reasons. The most common was, I am busy. Go away, come back later. Yeah. Another one is, you know, that is none of your business. There are There's a fair number of people who just don't want the government knowing uh, what they do. Um, and I, I would say there's been an increase in the distrust of government slowly over time. Um, I think it's up to me and our organization to show over and over again why these reports are important, how they are beneficial to the farms and the ranches, that you know, an, a safe and abundant food supply, well, that's good for everybody who eats, but what's in it for me because I'm raising these cattle? Mm -hmm. Well, with these reports, we should have prices that reflect actual supply and demand, not speculation. That's our job. Let's put the facts out there so that supply and demand do work. Sometimes prices go down when we publish a report. Sometimes they go up. By the way, farmers and ranchers will remember the times when the price went down. They are going to remember that <laughs> yeah. a lot more. Yeah. And so we actually make a nice handout that shows a, a graph. Of, yeah, it goes up some. It goes up and it goes down. And overall, it's about even. Mm -hmm. So you're, one of your main pushes right now is, is really communicating the value proposition of the services that you and the team provide. That's right. What's in it for me is the basic question. I'm busy. What's in it for me? These reports are important because they provide for facts that will influence the price based on supply and demand rather than speculation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that speculation is a huge piece. Like you have anyone can throw on, get on social media, go live and you know, throw out a bunch of speculation based on one piece of data that they found at their fields or in life. And it's just so anecdotal, but it has such an outsized impact just because of social media. So it's, it's a, it's an uphill battle, but I, I believe in you guys. And, and I truly see the value proposition there for everyone involved. And it's really important. Like we have to understand what the data is telling us, because if we don't look at the data, then it's just going to be bad, bad business. Casey, I think you said that very well. And because you, you use the word anecdotal, you are now an honorary NAS employee. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a badge I can put on? I'll work on that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> put that on my website too. 
This has been great, Mark. Is there anything else? I think we've covered all of my, you know, pointed questions at you. Um, like I said earlier, I love data. I think it's very important for how we run business, not only in ag, but in real estate as well. And having just foundational base cases and good comparisons and clear, clear reports that communicate the value and why it is important for farmers and um, ranchers in these areas. But um, is there anything else, Mark, that you'd like to touch on? Yeah, a couple of things, if you don't mind. First of all, I need yeah, to thank absolutely. all. I want to thank all the farmers and ranchers that have responded to our surveys. Your, your data is protected by law. It is exempt from the Freedom of Information Act, and you help tell the story of Illinois agriculture, Iowa agriculture, all around the country. And I'd say this to people who maybe aren't involved in agriculture: be aware, farming and ranching is very science-based. Uh, I think frequently rural people and farmers and ranchers get portrayed as uh, sort of the country bumpkin, and that's just not right. That's just mm -hmm. not right. There's been such wonderful science in that world. We are producing much, much more food on slowly declining acres because of science. That is plant breeders and animal uh, genetics experts and things like that. We are also very fortunate there's a set of land-grant colleges around the country that really help with that. So in Champaign, Illinois, there's a group of people with PhD after their name. They're agricultural economists, and they're very helpful at producing, you know, dissecting the information that comes from NAS and other sources and producing reports that will help farmers and ranchers make their decisions on how to run their farm. And these land-grant colleges, not just Champaign, Illinois, it's West Lafayette, Indiana, it's Manhattan, Kansas. It's, is it Moscow, Idaho, or is it Boise, Idaho? One of those two has got a land-grant mm -hmm. college, I'm pretty sure. They're all around the country. And so these smart people with PhD after them, they're very helpful. But also there's young people we've never heard of before. Uh, some young man or woman is trying to earn that PhD uh, and they've got a good idea. Now they need to go through the process. They need to gather the data, test that idea. Does it hold up to scrutiny? Can you write the report that is peer reviewed and earn that PhD because you did the hard work to gather the data and prove that your report is that your idea is a good idea. Some of these ideas are going to change the world, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot, but now there's a chance for someone who's smart and hardworking to do what they need to do. Absolutely agree. And absolutely echo the thank you for those farmers who do fill out those voluntary reports. It is absolutely the basis for what Mark does and for all the other states in the country on making sound farming decisions. So very important. And Mark, thank you again for coming on, sharing your insights and your journey and your value proposition for farmers and ranchers. And yeah, we just really appreciate it. And if you don't mind, how can listeners get a hold of you more and just learn more about you? Our website is www.nas.usda.gov. That's N-A-S-S. USDA.gov. That's sort of the national website. And then from there, you can go to the various state websites. You can go to Illinois and you can see my contact information, my email, et cetera. Perfect. And we will also link all of those things in the show notes as well. So if anyone is interested, just feel to open up that description and check it out. Mark, thanks again for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Casey. Best of luck to you.
and you as well. See ya.